1: about starting AI in your company, one of the first people I would hire is a really great data scientist, even if they can't code. Just so they're the one who's gonna start training you and helping you think about how to gather data, how the modeling's gonna work, what you're gonna need, whether that feature that you wanna build is even modelable in the first place. And that scientific knowledge has to permeate the entirety
0: of your org. And welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. Our team is hard at work preparing for the 2020 ELC Summit. So, This week's episode is from one of our community's past events, featuring a talk with Craig Martell, head of Lyft Machine Learning. Prior to joining Lyft, Craig was head of machine intelligence at Dropbox and led a number of AI teams and initiatives at LinkedIn, including the development of the LinkedIn AI Academy. Before LinkedIn, Craig was a tenured computer science professor at the Naval Postgraduate School, specializing in natural language processing. He has a PhD in computer science from the University of Pennsylvania and is the co-author of the MIT press book, Great Principles of Computing. Here's the truth straight from Craig. To lead a machine learning team, you have to know machine learning. He'll share what to do if you have no experience, the different approaches to building a machine learning team the biggest mistakes engineering leaders make with machine learning teams, and so much more. Quick note, this was recorded at a live event with a Q&A at the end. I jump in at the end to ask some of the questions that came from the audience. That way, you'll be able to hear the questions that Craig was asked. Enjoy this episode with Craig Martell.
1: So what I wanted to talk about today is everything you want to know about machine learning management, but possibly didn't want to hear. I'm going to say essentially here's what a good structure of a machine learning team should look like. Here are the components you need. Maybe some suggestions for how you could fill up those components. And then if you actually want to manage that team, what you can do to help prepare yourself to interact with my tribe. I wanna first start talking about the machine learning life cycle. It's very different from standard software engineering. And I think the first thing you need to learn if you're gonna manage a machine learning team is how machine learning gets built and what that life cycle looks like. Its cycle is much longer, so it's, it's a challenge to actually sync up with a two-week sprint or even a six-week sprint, or even quarterly sometimes, which my boss doesn't like my saying. We're gonna talk about what skills make up machine learning and how to make sure that you have them on your team. I already said all this. How to potentially scale, your, uh, scale ML to all your teams and what to do if you don't have an ML background but you're gonna be managing that. So the first thing you have to do is gather labeled data. And then you extract features from that labeled data. I'll talk about that in a second. You then have to decide about what algorithm you want. And you take the labeled data and the algorithm, and you put it into this box called machine learning. And what comes out of that box is a function. And that function maps features to a class. Who doesn't know what I mean by the word features? Features are abstractions from the data that you believe are predictive. Okay, so for example, if we were going to do gender prediction just by using video recognition, what's a good feature for gender prediction? Well, height might be a good feature. Sorry? Voice frequency, frequency, if we had that. Uh, Hair length. These are all good features for gender prediction. Are they 100% accurate? No, not at all. So it's a function that maps those features to the likelihood of a class. That's what we call the a classification task. We are classifying things. So some possible classification tasks are will you click on this job or not? Or when I search for results in Dropbox, is this your file? Did you click on it or not? So is it a good file for you or not? That would be the two classes. There will be a binary classification. And the features might be the title, the last time you looked at that file, the content of the file relative to other files you've recently opened. These are the features. So we start with labeled data, we use an algorithm, and we generate a function which maps features to classes. We then do an offline evaluation. How good are we doing given a gold data set that we consider ground truth? How good are we doing given a gold data set? And then we iterate. So we evaluate offline and we iterate. We evaluate offline and we iterate. You can see why our life cycle is very different than software engineering. We evaluate offline and we iterate, and then we ship. Boom, but we're not done. Because then we have to evaluate online, and then iterate. And then evaluate online, and then iterate, and evaluate online, and then iterate. And iterate could either be choosing a new algorithm, choosing new features, or just gathering more data. What do you think the most expensive and time-consuming aspect of this life cycle is? Data cleaning. Data cleaning. I don't say that here, but okay. <laughs> it's exactly right. Gathering features from labeled data. So I want you to pay attention to this. It's a part of the rest of the story. Gathering features from labeled data is a fairly manual task. It's a very scientific task because you have to gather the data in a way that's fairly sampling the population for the task at hand. You have to sample it fairly. You have to figure out which features you actually need. And sometimes those features are very large vectors. Sometimes they're projections into smaller spaces. The buzzword for that is now called embeddings. So there are lots of features that you have to build. But all of them depend specifically on your data and your problem. And you need software engineers, and you need people with great scientific thinking to do that. But it's also the most expensive and time consuming. I thought most people would say building the algorithm would be the most expensive because you need real mathematical geniuses to do that. It's actually not the most expensive, right? For some problems, it might be. For level five autonomy, it might be. But I still think data is probably the more important one there too. Okay, so what skills make up a machine learning team? What do you need on your team in order to do machine learning? You need math. You need someone that has really robust, you need a set of people that have that really robust mathematical skills. And those skills are essentially probability, statistics. I know they're not the same, but I collapsed them. Linear algebra and calculus. This is, if you come to a team meeting, and my team, Most of the conversations contain the word vector, projection, gradient. This is just how we talk. You need people with strong mathematical backgrounds. You also need people with strong empirical science backgrounds. Why do you need people with strong empirical science backgrounds? Because of what I said before. To gather that data, you have to know how to sample. You have to know how to sample fairly. You have to make sure that you're not sampling in a skewed way so that when you build your model, it doesn't actually apply incorrectly to the deployed situation. Okay? So you need to be able to sample. You need to be able to evaluate statistically, not just statistical significance, but you have to understand things like statistical power. So you need people who are robust scientific thinkers. The way I say it is they have to be really good at hypothesis generation and hypothesis testing. It, I know it's, it sounds like we're just engineers, but really, if you need to make this work, people have to have scientific thinking on your team. And you need software engineers, but you already know that. Okay, so how might you get this? This combination of features. Well, you could do the classic thing and try your best to hire a bunch of PhDs in machine learning. How many people think that's going to be robustly successful? It's very hard because it takes a really long time to produce these people and everybody wants them. So that's one way to do it. And that's the classic model. It's very expensive and very time-consuming and we need to move beyond that. So part of what we spend a lot of time thinking about at Dropbox is how can we move beyond that very tightly constrained model. Well, you can combine these PhDs with people who have strong bachelor's and master's degrees in machine learning. Now, note what I said, strong bachelor's or master's in machine learning. So I'm moving a little bit from the model in that story, but those bachelor's and master's in machine learning usually can code really well, and they're usually good enough at the math and good enough at the scientists that the senior people can mentor them. You could do what uh, other teams have tried, in my opinion, it's a mistake, which is do a division of labor. You could hire people who know math and science and let them build models. They're usually called data scientists. And then you can let the engineers ship those models. That seems like an awesome way to get started because the data scientists don't have to have coding backgrounds. And there's lots of software engineers who actually want to work in this field so they seem really eager to do it. The fundamental problem there, it works, it can work, but you gotta be very careful because it often creates a cast system that the modelers are seen as really smart, doing cool, sexy things, and the engineers are just shipping models. So they came to learn about machine learning, but they end up just shipping a blob of data called a model and they know nothing about it. So if you wanted to build a team that did this division of labor, be very cautious. I've not really seen it work, but Madora promises to tell me I'm wrong in almost everything I'm saying in the panel discussion, so we'll see. And finally, to help fill out this team Makeup, you can build or buy a platform. Okay, so what do I mean by a platform? We're building something called a machine learning platform. Databricks will sell you a machine learning platform. A lot of companies have gone on a business selling machine learning platforms. You could build your own machine learning platform using third-party AIs from Google, Microsoft, or, or Amazon. And the beauty of doing that is you're outsourcing the math. What do I mean by that? Other people are building those algorithms. But what did I say the most expensive part is? Yeah, data, somehow getting the data. So you can't outsource the data getting the data or sampling the data or figuring out what features are gonna work. That's still an extremely important part. The algorithm is just one small part of that. So it's great to build a system that ships, that wraps algorithms in an API so that anybody can use that, but you still need the scientific thinking. It's also much easier to ship, right? If you are gonna use that split model, maybe you can hire data scientists and you don't need the software engineers, because you could build a platform that will help those data scientists ship. So building a platform has a lot of great benefits. But as I said, there's no outsourcing the science. So no matter how, if I had to give one piece of advice about starting AI in your company, one of the first people I would hire is a really great data scientist, even if they can't code. Just so they're the one who's going to start training you and helping you think about how to gather data, how the modeling's gonna work, what you're gonna need, whether that feature that you wanna build is even modelable in the first place. And that scientific knowledge has to permeate the entirety of your org. If you wanna build AI products, I promised I would stop using that word, I meant to say machine learning. If you wanna build machine learning products, then you really need people who have strong scientific thinking. You need the math, you need the coding, but those two are more outsourceable. The strong scientific thinking is not because that's your data, and no, there's no API that you can throw that data to and it'll magically understand it. If we did, if we could, we, I would sell that. You could start an AI academy. So one thing that's been super successful when I was at LinkedIn and at other companies for sure is taking the few PhDs that you have who really strongly know this stuff and miss being in the classroom and give them the opportunity to deliver that scientific knowledge to general software engineers who actually want to learn this. So the AI academies are very successful. They have to be backed up with really strong scientists and math folks. And you have to give them really strong tools for shipping. But if you can do that, training people in-house or hiring Galvanize, you're
0: welcome, Galvanize, hiring
1: Galvanize to come train your people, they'll happily do that. Works really well.
0: Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Now, what if you as the manager don't have any of these
1: skills? I'm sure many people, there are gonna be many managers who are handed either ML teams or ML tasks. What should you do if you're one of those people? If you're a manager, if you're a leader that's been handed these ML tasks? There's no easy answer here. The short answer is you gotta learn it. You're not gonna be able to manage that team effectively if you don't learn machine learning. Now, you don't have to learn as deeply as the experts, but would any of you manage a software engineering team if you didn't know how to code? No, you have to be able to understand what they're doing, what their work life is like, what choices they have to make. So if you don't know machine learning, but you're, learning, you're managing a machine learning team, then I strongly recommend you get skills. Here's some resources that I find really useful. If you've not taken an online course by Andrew Ng, and I say this as an ex-professor who believed that I was a very good teacher. If you have not taken an online course from Andrew Ng, do yourself a favor and do it. It is the best set of lectures I have ever seen about machine learning. Be prepared to brush up on your linear algebra, your probability, and your calculus. Fast AI is something that my team likes a lot. It works really well. It takes a little more hands-on approach. Be prepared to brush up on your probability and statistics, your linear algebra, and your calculus. Now, do you have to know it well enough To be able to do it, no, but you have to know it well enough to understand what the phrase gradient descent means. You absolutely have to understand that. If you can't understand that, you're not going to be able to talk to your team in any effective way and you won't be able to, you have to know more than that, (laughs) but you won't be able to represent them in any planning meeting or prioritization meeting. I recommend that if you're going to be managing a machine learning team, take a real course. Go to San Jose State, San Francisco State, go to Stanford, go to Berkeley, take an actual course. The grade is irrelevant, take it, pass, fail, who cares? What matters is you struggle through going from data to modeling, to evaluation, to modeling, to evaluation, to modeling, to evaluation, to modeling, to evaluation, to shipping. And another really great way is to do a Kegel competition. This is, depending on how self-motivated you are, these are machine learning competitions and many people put it on their resume if they won one because it helps us hire them but there are some tools there to help you learn how to do things. And finally, I don't think there are any good books that do the following. I don't think there are any good books that are for a popular audience, but teach you machine learning deeply enough. I don't think that's the case. If someone knows a better one, if someone knows one, please tell me. But this book, Hands-On Machine Learning with Scikit and something else, you can just learn, is okay. But it's only okay if you're willing to struggle through the math. If you're not willing to struggle through the math, then it's gonna be meaningless to you. So if you're comfortable struggling through the math on your own, then that's an actual actual great resource. So the takeaway is you need three sets of skills. I know I'm going to question time, I'll be really fast. You need three sets of skills, math, science, and coding. And if you wanna manage a team that does machine learning, you need three sets of skills, math, science, and coding, well enough to understand the
0: choices and trade-offs your team has to make. Questions? I'm all done. We're going to jump into the Q&A segment from Craig's talk. First question, how deep do you have to get into AI ML in order to lead effectively? Take a class. You really have to. I've seen people try. You can hope that you can do it. You could say I'm I'm an awesome
1: manager. I've been managing machine learning teams for a really long time. I I strongly believe it doesn't work in the same way as if you took somebody who didn't know software engineering and tried to manage a software engineering team. It's just not going to work.
0: How do you estimate project timelines when AI ML is involved?
1: I have a a joking answer which is whatever it is, multiply it by five. (laughs) But here's the real answer. If you can get a well-specced input-output, this is the input that you're gonna get machine learning team and this is the output that we expect. And if you agree that's actually a a function that's creatable because lots of times that spec will be a function that you don't believe is creatable. If you believe that input-output is a function that's creatable, Then here's a rough rule of thumb. It's going to take an entire quarter to gather data, an entire quarter, sometimes more. It's going to take probably more to gather the data you need to train the algorithm, to label the data you need to make sure that you have uh, separable classes that are learnable. So it's going to take, that's where the science comes in. Gathering the data is going to take about a quarter. Building the 0.9 that you're willing to ship is going to take about a quarter. My boss really doesn't like that one. And here's the best part, it's gonna suck. The first version you ship is going to suck. It's gonna be a teeny bit better than random crap. But you have to ship it, because you need actual online data for the next quarter to get it to be good enough that you're proud. So the rule of thumb is three quarters before it's actually a useful product. Or multiply by five. Not not 15 quarters, but it's not two sprints is my point. It's gonna take, if you're starting from nothing, it's gonna be about three quarters. So it's really gonna be about a year before you're really unbelievably proud of it and you think it's in stable state.
0: What are the biggest mistakes engineering leaders make in managing AI ML teams?
1: I think that I captured that one. It's not understanding what they do. The biggest mistake they make is they go to prioritization meetings with their peers or their bosses and they make promises that either severely under undervalue what the team can do or severely overhope what the team can deliver. So you have to really understand what actual things are buildable and what are not. It's not immediately intuitive. Some things that seem really easy to you are actually absurdly hard. And some things that seem really hard are actually pretty easy for us. And so you really have to dive in with your team to understand their capabilities.
0: How do you manage expectations in an org that's still in the early days of AI ML development?
1: Be straight up blunt and tell them the three-quarter argument. Just be straight up blunt and say, it's not going to be faster than that. And when they tell you to ship it faster than that, tell them no, because you're not going to ship it faster than that. There are a few exceptions, but I don't want to pretend these don't exist. You're not going to ship it faster than three-quarters. And if you do, more power to you, great. But uh, just set expectations early and often that it's going to take a long time before anything gets out the door that's of any value, and it's going to suck. Three-quarters to suck. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> no, two quarters to suck, three quarters to be okay.
0: What are some of the sources of technical debt unique to AI ML systems?
1: That is an awesome question. Do so you know how companies have this not built here problem? And they're, they want to build it themselves and they don't want to go buy some other problem, some other solution. Every single machine learning PhD wants to build their own shit. Every one of them. And they don't want to platformize at all. It's like pulling teeth to get them to want to be part of a platform. So the technical debt is you're going to let them do that because you want to not slow down that already slow three quarter shipping timetable. So you're going to let them do that. You're going to let them write their own data ingestion pipeline. You're going to let them write their own modeling, whether they write the model themselves or import it from somebody that they found who they went to grad school with. They're gonna do all of that themselves. They're gonna put it into a big table, which can be part of your normal infrastructure. And at runtime, it's gonna be some table lookup. That part's fine. The table lookup for machine learning is gonna be fine. That part's fine. Some things aren't gonna be that, but a lot of them are just gonna be table lookups. But you're gonna be stuck with that guy quitting, or that woman quitting, and having no idea how that flow works. And that's just gonna be a fact that you need to mitigate early. And the way you mitigate it isn't to force them to use some platform that they detest. The way you mitigate it is making sure they document the heck out of it and have someone else be on that project with them so that they know how to run it. And then when you gut some things out the door, together with that team, you can get buy-in to build the right platform. But that's the biggest technical debt that's specific to them. And you guys can all agree with me, and the panel may strongly disagree with me, and I'm you know, more than
0: open to that. How does a machine learning team interact with product teams? One thing that you want
1: to think about in this area is you want to think about the machine learning team as having two partners, product engineering and product management. And the way they should interact with the two partners is there should be a very clear API between product engineering and the ML engineers. And that API will take in the input that was agreed upon in the spec, and it will spit out the results. Okay, That part's clear, but there must be a firm contract And that contract is nobody can rearrange the order of things after it leaves the API. Why? Any intuitions to why? No rearranging my results. What good is machine learning relevance if I give you an ordered list of results that are, say, search results, and you decide to reorder them? That's fine. Just you can fire me. Right? Then my job, I'm not doing anything. If you're going to take my results and you're going to reorder them, just randomly reorder stuff. That's fine. We order things according to a metric, and that's number two. Your API with the product team is a metric that you believe you can move, and product believes moves their goals. So we can't move revenue directly, but we can move engagement on certain things. And so we build the results of that API to that metric, and we iterate back and forth. We change results, we we check the metric, we change results, we check the metric, we change results, we check the metric. Uh, That doesn't quite answer the question. I think I answered that earlier. But the way you interact with product development is that way. You have a clear spec on an API and a very clear metric with your product partners and clear agreement on whose job it is to figure out that metric, (laughs) whether or not that metric is moving in the right direction.
0: Do you have any good resources to learn AI machine learning specific for leaders? So
1: that's a subtly different question. If you mean execs, Andrew Ng has, I forget what it's called, AI for everyone. That's fine for execs. It'll allow execs to understand why you're making the decisions you're making. But if you're the manager of the team, that's nowhere near sufficient. If you're the manager of the team, you have to learn the fundamentals of machine learning.
0: When is the right time to invest in AI
1: ML? So that, let me see what you mean by that. I think you mean where in the life cycle of your product or where in the life cycle of your company should you invest in AI? And that's really what your company is. Like, if you envision your company to be delivering machine learning results, then you're too late. You should be having the machine learning people in the room at the beginning so they can help you figure out the right data, the right products, what's doable, what's not doable. If you're not doing machine learning, then
0: whenever it is that you get to do it. Can you apply the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule to AI ML development?
1: I'm not going to answer that question, but I'll answer a slightly different question, which will help. You have to decide whether or not you care about precision or recall. Precision is, if I say it's true, it's likely to be true, this is relevant to you. Recall is, I've given you all the relevant things. Okay? Often I can give you all the relevant things by showing a bunch of crap too. That's a high recall, low precision. High precision, I might give you five things, but there's 2,000 that I didn't show you. That's high precision, low recall. So you have to decide whether you want precision or recall. If you're at 75, 80% for precision, That's shippable, that's okay. Your customers are probably gonna be happy with that. What that means though is 25 out of 100 or 20 out of 100 things won't be useful to them. So if you're okay with that product experience where 50% of the things are useful to your customers and the other 50 are not, that's fine. Usually it's about 80%. Like People can handle 20% of my results are not good, but 80% of them are. So that's good. And when you reach a plateau, you have to decide the value of the cost. That I means the, the value of what you're trying to do, whether you want to invest the cost. Often getting over a plateau is just one person going to explore for a quarter. You see what happens? Often getting over a plateau is doing significantly more robust, harder things, which means gathering more data, building more infrastructure, and hiring more people. So you have to decide uh, on that yourself. But if it's at 80%, ship it, move on to another problem.
0: Here's a quick recap of our takeaways with Craig Martell. The overview of the machine learning life cycle is to first gather labeled data, extract features from the labeled data, decide what algorithm you want, apply the labeled data to the algorithm. This then generates a function which maps to a feature class. You then do a series of offline evaluations and and iterations, followed by a series of online evaluations and iterations. The most expensive and time-consuming aspect of the machine learning lifecycle is gathering features from labeled data, because it's very scientific and you have to gather data in a way that fairly samples the population. The key skills your machine learning team needs to have are robust math, strong science, and coding. The most important quality is strong scientific thinking. Craig's one piece of advice was to hire a great data scientist first. They'll train you and help you think about gathering data and whether the feature you want is even modelable. There are different models for how you can build your AI ML team. You can bring together a bunch of PhDs, but this is expensive, time-consuming, and there's lots of competition. You can have PhDs mentor and teach team members who may have a bachelor's or master's in machine learning, and those people are usually good enough at math and science to be mentored. Craig thinks it's a mistake to divide the labor between the quote-unquote modelers with math and science backgrounds and the quote-unquote engineers who ship the models, but there are companies where this approach works. You can also buy a platform like Databricks or build a platform with third-party AIs from places like Google, Microsoft, or Amazon, but you can't outsource the data collection. If you're trying to estimate a timeline, expect roughly three quarters before you have a useful product. One quarter to gather data, it will probably take you more. Building what you're going to ship will also take a quarter, and getting the online data to improve will also take a quarter. So you have to be blunt with expectations about this. It will be about three quarters before you have anything of value. The biggest mistakes engineering leaders make managing AI ML teams is they make promises that undervalue what their team can do or over hope what the team can deliver. You have to really understand what's buildable and what's not. If you want to invest in AI ML in your company or product, then the machine learning team needs to be involved from the beginning so they can help you figure out the right data, the right products, what's doable, and what's not. When designing your machine learning product, you have to decide whether or not you want precision or recall. Precision is when you say it's true, it's likely to be true, and recall is I've given you all of the relevant things. Customers will probably be happy with 75 to 80% precision. Here's how you interact with product. You have to have a clear spec on an API, a very clear metric with your product partners that you believe you can move and that product believes moves their goals. Then you need clear agreements on whose job it is to figure out that metric and whether that metric is moving in the right direction. Here's one of the main sources of technical debt unique to AI ML systems. Every machine learning PhD wants to build their own stuff. They typically don't want an outside platform and you have to let them do that. The technical debt will be when that person quits and no one knows how the table lookup flow for machine learning works, you mitigate this with extensive documentation or having someone else on the project so they know how to run it. You have to understand and learn machine learning if you want to lead an ML team. We've included links to all the resources Craig mentioned in our show notes. If you're an executive, you need at least a high-level understanding so you know why you're making decisions. If you're managing an ML team directly, you have to learn the fundamentals. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mesmer, the exclusive accessibility partner of the Engineering Leadership Podcast. Mesmer's AI bots automate mobile app accessibility testing to ensure your app is always accessible to everybody. To jumpstart your accessibility and inclusion initiative, visit mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. You can also follow the link in our show notes. That's mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups and other programs that are going on, head to SFELC.com. That's SFELC.com. Or you can also follow the link in our show notes. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.